0: Well, I'm going to begin this sermon a little different this morning. We're not going to jump right into scripture. I'm going to start with a disclaimer. Okay? I've got a disclaimer and a statement of purpose for you. I think it's necessary when we talk about divorce that we kind of have a disclaimer. And here's the disclaimer. Ready? Alright? Divorce is painful. That's the disclaimer. Divorce is painful. It hurts. It leaves scars. It affects not just the husband and the wife, but the children and the grandchildren. And the, I, I mean, those of you that are there, you know it, right? When when the holidays come and you're on your fifth Christmas. Or, or your seventeenth Thanksgiving, it feels like, and you're, you're being spread out amongst things. When when you're that kid, and and you're in the emotional ping pong between mom and dad, and mom is saying this about dad, and that makes you cry, and then dad says this about mom, and that makes you cry, and and you're you're just being wrenched between the two, or 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 you're you're the spouse that, that maybe your spouse left you and walked out, right, and and it leaves this gaping hole that nothing seems to fill, and you don't know what to do with it, and 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 I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's hurt. And there's pain attached. And if we don't admit that on the very beginning, then we can never receive the word of the Lord. Because then we're just lying to ourselves and we're saying this isn't an emotional issue. And since it's not an emotional issue, surely I won't have an emotional response. It's an emotional issue. We've been through pain. We've been through trials. And therefore, when we come to the word of God, and, and there's some tough teachings in it. There, there might be some difficulty with it, okay? And so we've got to start there that this is, this is painful, okay? Now, secondly, we have to talk about the purpose of all this. And, and, and I just want to tell you that I've found uh, in the last couple of weeks, because people know we've been preaching through the whole Sermon on the Mount, I've already had questions come to me as the pastor. I've had questions go to other people and say, well, what's he going to talk about? Well, what is he going to cover? What, 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 you know, people come, I, I, is this okay? Is that okay? There, there's some pressure as the pastor to somehow um, answer every question about whether or not a divorce is viable and biblical. And, and, and uh, man, I felt that over the last couple of weeks. But I want to tell you, that's not the aim. And that's not the point. In fact, I was texting back and forth with Alan. Um, I was studying divorce while we were on vacation on the beach. I'm studying divorce and reading. And, and, uh, and I'm texting Alan. And, uh, and, and people have been having conversations about how difficult it is. And I just had to tell him, brother, unfortunately, I have to put all those things out of mind. I can't think about you. I can't think about what you're going through. I can't think about how tough it was on me and my mother. I can't think about those things when I come to Scripture. Because here's the deal, guys. Now, now, I, I, maybe there are men, maybe even godly men that can approach the Bible that way, that they open the Bible looking for specific answers, right? Trying to answer questions and, and, and fit every need and every thought. But I'm not one of them. I, I can't do it. I don't do it. I won't do it. Um, here's what I believe about the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is just that. It is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. I believe that He has given us within His Word everything that we need for life. Everything That we need for life and eternal life. And I believe because of that, that when we approach Scripture, our aim is not to get what we want out of it, all right? But our aim is instead to open the Bible and to try to understand what it meant to those people that originally heard it and how that applies to us today. That's the only approach we can take to Scripture. Okay? And because of that, here's what that means. That means that for many of you this morning, I'm not going to answer your questions about divorce. I'm not going to answer every question that you have and every thought that, that you you know, every hand. That, I, I I'm not going to because that's just not the focus. This morning our focus is going to be on what Jesus Christ says about divorce and what we can learn from Him, okay? Does that make sense for everybody? Okay, this is yes, this is no, this is where am I? How did I get here, right? Okay, so it makes sense, right? Yes, yes, yes. All right, with that said, let's dive in. With, uh, with both feet, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. Uh, I Also, if you can find Matthew 19, that's going to be very helpful to you this morning as well. We're going to be in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19. Matthew 5, starting in verse 31, and this is what the Word of God says. Jesus speaking. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He's said, that's what you've said. That's what's been heard. That's what's been passed down. That's the oral tradition thing. He says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery also. Now, whoo, strong, strong statement. Strong statement. Now, we're going to look at that in context. And you say, what is context? Context is like when you were trying to... You, you remember taking all those tests they made you take in school, right? You had to read and they had all the, the words you didn't know in the paragraph. And when you found a word you didn't know, what did you, you're supposed to use context clues, right? It means you read the rest of the paragraph to figure out what that meant. Well, we do the same thing when we study Scripture. So when we come across a hard teaching, a difficult teaching, we start with the surrounding things. We find out, well, there's nothing in Matthew 5 that talks about uh, divorce. Well, is there anything else in the book of Matthew? Well, yes, there is. We get out to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is talking on the same subject. So we're going to study that in context. We're going to look at another teaching from the book of Matthew that Jesus says about divorce, okay? But, but really, I, I want you to understand this morning, there's really four strong, strong things that the Lord teaches us about Divorce, And here's the first. Jesus teaches us that it's really not about grounds for divorce at all. It's not about grounds for divorce, guys. It's about the sanctity of marriage. It's not about the grounds for divorce. It's about the sanctity of marriage. Now, here's the sad truth. By the time most people visit a pastor in the office to talk about divorce, by the time that they're there, they're usually really coming uh, well, really for a couple reasons, but there's always an underlying theme. They, they want counsel, they, they want support, they want encouragement. But underneath it all, what we find most of the time, is most of the time what they're seeking is, is pastoral approval for what they believe to be valid grounds for a divorce. That's what they're asking for. They want pastoral approval. That is what I believe, is that really a biblical grounds for a divorce? When you get to the heart of it, unfortunately, that's what many couples are looking for at that point. Now, here's the problem. The problem is there's great danger in taking that approach. And and I love what John Stott says. John Stott, great commentator, uh, great, great commentator, writes great stuff. This is what he says about this. He says, you know, one must never begin a discussion on this subject, talking about divorce. He says, one must never begin uh, a discussion on this subject by inquiring about the legitimacy of divorce. See, that's backwards, alright? That's not why we come to Scripture. He says this, To be preoccupied with the grounds for divorce is to be guilty of the very Phariseeism which Jesus condemned. You see that? See, what he's saying is, listen, the Bible's not about whether or not your grounds for divorce are legitimate. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible's focus is not on the grounds for divorce. The Bible's focus is always on the sanctity of marriage. You see it? It's, not, its focus is never on the negative. Its focus is always on what God intended. And so we've got to have that same focus. That's got to be how we attack Scripture. Now, now, now let's go to Matthew 19 so we can kind of study this in context. Because I want you to see what these scribes and Pharisees are doing, man. It's, it's kind of a tricky thing. Starting in verse 3, um, it says, Some Pharisees came to him, that being Jesus, to test him. And listen to what they asked him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Okay, he, he says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Then they asked him, well, well, didn't Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? To which Jesus replied, no, Moses permitted that you divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it uh, was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, what are the Pharisees asking? Guys, the Pharisees are asking the same thing that most of us ask. They're asking, what are legitimate reasons for divorce? What are legitimate grounds for divorce? And how does Jesus answer that question? The answer is He doesn't. He doesn't say here's all the reasons. Instead, He says, Haven't you heard that in the very beginning of time, God made man and woman to enter into a holy union and become one flesh together? And He says, And you know what? What God has put together, man shouldn't separate. What does that tell us? It tells us the focus of scripture. Guys, it's not about grounds for divorce. It's just not. It's not about legitimate grounds for divorce. It's about the sanctity of marriage. That's the heart of our Lord. A husband and a wife being joined together by God forever. That's the point. Okay? Number 2. Number 2. Jesus teaches us that divorce is not a divine command. Rather, it is a divine concession. Divorce is not a divine command. It is a divine concession. In Matthew 19, you remember in 31, he says, It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. These Pharisees are asking the same thing. In, in, in uh, chapter 19, they're, they're saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They're talking about writing these divorce certificates. And then Jesus responds to them and he says, no, it's not about grounds for divorce. It's about the sanctity of marriage. And he teaches what marriage was intended to be, to which they respond. And they say, but wait a second. Didn't Moses command that we get a divorce? <laughs> Don't you like how they've twisted the teaching now? <laughs> All right? I love how Jesus answers them in verse 8. You notice he, they use the word command. It literally means a command. Uh, it, it, it means uh, an order. They're so off base, they're they're actually believing and teaching that Moses ordered them to divorce their spouse for any improper behavior. Now, when I say improper, guys, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 24 said you could divorce your wife for any improper behavior. And here's what the scribes and the Pharisees, by the way, taught as as improper. It was was pretty bad. Um, Basically, here's the argument, okay? Uh, They looked at Deuteronomy 24 and said improper. Now that word in Hebrew, it literally means naked, okay? Just in case you're wondering. It it refers to marital unfaithfulness. That's what it refers to in the original context. But here's what they said. They said, well, hold on. If that referred to adultery, the law of Moses demanded that you stone somebody. So it wouldn't have mattered. It would have kind of canceled itself out. So it can't be adultery. It's got to be some other type of lesser, lesser infidelity, Of of lesser inappropriateness. And so they started thinking, well, I wonder what's lesser than adultery. And so they started writing it down. You know what's lesser than adultery, they said? Yeah, I'll tell you what's lesser. If your wife is barren, that's lesser than adultery, but that's definitely grounds for divorce. I mean, you married her so that you could have great offspring and and a big family and and you could have as many sons as there are stars in the sky, right? And, And so they would say, well, listen, if your wife's infertile, just divorce her. They thought that that was okay. They added that to the law. But you know, well let's not stop there. That's not the only improper thing. You know what else is improper? If your woman is sick all the time, I tell you what, I'm sick of sick women. You know what? If your woman is sick all the time, you divorce her. You get rid of her and you get you a healthy bride. You get somebody that, that's, that's virile and can wait on you and hand and foot and do whatever you need, right? So you just get rid of that old sick dog and, and you just get somebody else. I'm, I'm telling you what they said, okay? Don't shoot the messenger, right? And so, so here, now, now, by the way, I want you to hear this. Every law on divorce was written about the women i 'm not joking that 's how it was written this is This is the culture it 's written about about the women so aren 't you glad ladies we 're not living under the old covenant amen all right amen so, so, that, so but let 's continue on now now listen they, they were also improper if they didn 't fulfill certain duties if, if they couldn 't cook well enough. Improper behavior, you're out of here, right? If they didn't clean the house well enough, that was improper behavior and grounds for a divorce according to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? But that's not it. There were other things that were improper. If they did not perform their marital duties frequently enough, that was the improper behavior. And check this out. This is when I say they built a fence around the Torah, I'm not joking. They actually. Put in writing, in, in oral tradition and then in writing, what, how they defined frequently enough. Ready? Here it is. You were required, if you're a woman, to perform marital duties regularly, and, and this is regularly, every day if he had the time. Alright man, who wants to get in on some oral tradition, right? I'm joking, I'm joking. We cannot take what we want and leave what we don't want. That's not how it goes. But, but that's what they actually believed. And then they actually had these crazy rules. If you were some kind of laborer that had to be gone for a week, it had to be once a week. If you had to be gone twice, I mean, it had to be twice. I mean, they had these regulations and rules. And it was just, it was just crazy and it was nuts. And, and so into this, Jesus steps, Jesus steps. And, and he says, listen, that's not what marriage is about. Marriage is a lifetime commitment because God has put it together to which they respond. Hold on. Wait a second. Didn't Moses command? And Jesus says, listen, no, not only didn't Moses command, here's what Moses did in verse eight of chapter 19. He says, Moses permitted. Moses didn't command. Moses permitted. He he he's basically saying it's not a command at all. And now here's why we make this point at all in church today. Are you ready? Ready? Because here's my fear. For many of us today, we feel the same way. I can't tell you how many couples come to us. How many couples come to us and and there's, there's been something improper in their relationship. And so they say, well, we've got to get a divorce. Something improper has happened. We must divorce. No, no, no. God never commands divorce. He offers it as a concession. It's never, ever Ever a command. So Jesus steps in and says, No, Moses permitted it, but it was not that way from the beginning. It's literally as if Jesus is saying this. Ready? Don't try to cover up your hurt. Don't try to cover up your anger. Don't try to mask it in holiness. Don't try to make divorce a holy war. Okay? If if you want one, then you have to admit why you want it. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm hurt. Maybe there was infidelity. But don't just try to say, well, the Bible commands it because the Bible never commands it. It's not a divine command. It's a divine concession. You've got to understand that when you study Scripture. Number three, when it comes to divorce, the third thing that you need to know is that marriage is meant to be permanent. Marriage is meant to be permanent and that means that we can't regard divorce and remarriage lightly. Because marriage is meant to be permanent, we can't regard divorce and remarriage lightly. And, 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 and again, let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount just for a second. I want you to hear Christ's words because they're strong words. Matthew 5.31, he says, It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, get this, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery as well. Now... Why does, why does Christ raise the bar so high? What, why why is that such a, a strong thing? Why, why does He set it so high? Again, we find our answer in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, it, it says it's set that high because man and woman were meant to be together forever. And, and, and in verse 6 of Matthew 19, what does it say? It says, What God has put together, let no man separate. Marriage is meant be To be permanent. And I want to tell you from the onset here. I believe this is solely talking about Christian marriage. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because Jesus is talking to people that believe themselves to be the children of God. And so he's saying, listen, if you are a child of God. Well, guess what? Here's the standard for children of God. I love what C.S. Lewis said about marriage. He put it this way. He said, listen, there ought to be two kinds of marriage. There ought to be one kind of marriage that's governed by the state. That everybody... Everybody has the same rules, right? That the state governs it. Say, so, okay, you're married. You've got to pay income taxes, right? You, you can't shoot one another. That, you shouldn't do that in marriage. Try not to strangle your spouse. Whatever, whatever that is, you know, whatever that is. So the state rules that. But C.S. Lewis said, you know what? There ought to be a second kind of marriage. The other governed by the church with rules enforced by her own members. And listen to what he says. This is huge. He says, the distinction ought to be quite sharp. So that a man knows what couples are married in a Christian sense and which are not. It is a high bar. It's a high bar that Jesus sets, but it's only a bar set for Christians. It's only a bar set for the children of God. If we are to be the children of God, we've got to have a higher standard of marriage than society around us. And then Jesus takes them to Scripture and He explains the heart of God that at the heart of marriage, that it should last, as all the vows say, until death do us part. Marriage is meant to be permanent, and I'm not here to offend you, but 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 we can't study marriage we we without admitting that we can't explain the permanency of marriage away. It is God's design for the people of God, and that's why divorce and remarriage are such a big deal. That's why it's important that we talk about them. Okay, now. If you're hearing that point, I want you to hang in for this last one because it's really important, okay? You need to hear this number four. While that is the case, while divorce and remarriage are a big deal, while they are serious, you need to hear this. They are not unforgivable. They are not unforgivable. There's been so much damage done in the church today by, by I, I don't know, I, I want to call them well-intentioned people, but I don't know that they have well-intentioned. I would be speaking for them and I can't do that. I, I know so many couples today that have been remarried and, and, and somebody from, there's a group of people, just so you know, that somehow think that, that, that remarriage constitutes perpetual adultery. They study the passages that we've studied today and, 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 and they say, okay, well, Jesus says if you remarry for, for grounds other than this adultery or you read Paul, a spouse dies or unbeliever leaves, they say if there's anything other than that, then that's adultery. And then this is what they would say. They, they, they don't stop there. They expand Scripture and they say, and therefore that means you're living in perpetual adultery. Somehow now you've walked into the unforgivable sin Friends, there is only one unforgivable sin. It's the denial of the Holy Spirit to the point of death. When you deny Jesus and you deny the Savior and you die apart from the Savior, that's the unforgivable sin because after you're dead, you can't be forgiven. All right? Which I would encourage you, if that's the case and you haven't done anything with Jesus, I, I, I'd encourage you. Think about Him today. All right? Think about Him today. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. These, these people would, would say, listen, listen, because of what this scripture says, then you're, you're somehow now into this unforgivable sin and that, therefore you've got all this guilt and shame. And Guys, it's just not there. Hear me today. If you're here and you've been remarried, you need to hear this. That's not there. If you go back to the original Greek and you read the verbs, this is not a perpetual verb. This is not an ongoing thing, this adultery that it mentions. It's just not. And you can't take the original Word of God and try to make it and form it and fashion it into something that you want it to be so that you can judge other people. That's not what the Bible is for. That's not what Christianity is about. Hear me and hear me clearly. Jesus is going to judge all mankind. That's His job. It's not yours. Now, with other Christians, we do have a role. Okay? The Bible says, you know, listen... We can't take out the plank or the speck in our brother's eye. If we've got a plank in ours. First, we got to remove the plank. But then it does say, "Then help them get out the speck." But here's here's the deal. And Jesus is focusing on the big stuff. We got to focus on the big stuff here. You need to hear the truth of Scripture. While it is a great sin, it's not unforgivable. I, I want you to hear what this guy says, uh, Matthew Bloomberg. He really sums it up well, and I give this to you on your papers, because I want you to take it home. Maybe you're one of those people that feels this. He says, listen, divorced Christians who have remarried should not commit the sin of a second divorce. Now, Because here's what this group says, that they believe in this is perpetual adultery. They say, well, you've got to get divorced and go back and remarry the, the, the spouse of your... Really? So you're you're actually preaching to me that I should sin... So that somehow I could make something right in the past. No, listen to what he says. He says, listen, they shouldn't commit the sin of a second divorce to try to resume relations with a previous spouse. But, get this, should begin afresh to observe God's standards by remaining faithful to their current partner. What did Jesus say to the adulterous woman? Go and sin no more. He didn't say go and undo your sin. <laughs> you understand that you've sinned? You've felt the, the brunt force of your, your sin? Now go and sin no more. That's the point. Now I want to walk you through the theology of how this works to the best of my ability. I've told you before, I'm a pretty dumb guy. Alright? Why is this not perpetual adultery? Okay, let me, let me explain it. So you enter into a covenant covenant's meant for life why we, now we have to admit jesus does use the word adultery okay so so remarriage if if it's not on biblical basis it, it, there is an act of adultery there and you say well why is that well because when that marriage is consummated the 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 two becoming one flesh thing has now, now a different two have become one flesh. You following me? Follow me so so, so here, here here it happened. So that would be the act. But again, the verbiage, it's not a perpetual act, it's 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 an act. And then now these two are one flesh. And if those two live in the marriage covenant as God intends for them to do, you'll see what many of us have seen today, the grace and the blessing of God as He restores broken people and makes them look more like Him than they ever were before. And what all that means is this. While adultery is a grave sin, what did we study last week when we talked about adultery and lust, right? When we talked about what Jesus really says about it, was there anybody in the room that wasn't guilty? There wasn't. Not to my, maybe some of the kids. Every adult with a heartbeat that I know was saying, oh yeah, I've done that. What that means is it's not unforgivable. Unforgivable. Is it important to talk about? Is it grave? Yes. But just like any other form of adultery we've talked about, it just has to be treated the same way. We've got to admit it, and then we've got to mortify it. We've got to cut it out. We have to get to the root of the problem and say, that will never happen in me again. Right? I, I shared with you guys last week my, my history. My dad left when I was a year old. Okay, I learned about women from magazines. That was my exposure and movies that I shouldn't have been watching. That's how I learned about women. Terrible education. None of that's accurate, by the way. And and, and so when you enter into that, and I, I remember when my dad came back and he moved in for a little while and was gonna live with us, and I that little kid and dad came home and the family's gonna be reunited and it was all perfect and he said I can't do it I'm leaving again and goes back to the I remember being broken sitting on a street corner bawling my eyes out alone and I swore to myself on that very day I will never be like my father in this regard right but then I grew up and you know what I did? I started following in his footsteps and I started, started, you know, looking at the same trash that he looked at and started thinking the same thoughts about women that he looked at. And at some point in my life, I had to come face to face with who I was. And I'd say, you know what? Enough is enough. I don't care what it takes, but I refuse to be that kind of man. God cut it out of me. And the same is true for people that have been remarried. At some point, you have to be able to look at yourself and to look at your sin and to look at those mistakes. And all you say is, God, I see them now. I pray that you would get to the source of why it didn't work before and that you would cut the sin out of me and that you would teach me how to love deeply as you have loved me deeply and that you would give me the spirit of commitment that you have committed unto me by yourself through the cross. And you just live change from that point forward. And some of you need to hear that. I can't tell you how many people that have been remarried that come to church and I, I sit with them and I counsel with them and they're living under this cloud of guilt because somebody that doesn't know the Bible has placed this upon them. Friends, there is grace at the foot of the cross. There is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. There are new new chances, second chances. I told the early service, I think I'm a, I'm on my 642nd chance, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it's my 6,420 second. I don't know. It's a lot. But man, Jesus is faithful. And if I confess my sins, He's always faithful and He forgives me my sins and He purifies me of all unrighteousness. He'll do the same for you. Now, what do we do with that? This is all I've got for you. I'm done. Three things. Number one, Right now, right here, not next week, not after you finish going through your divorce, not after, no, right now, you've heard the truth now, now you know. What do you do from this point forward? You raise the bar from here on out. This is what the bar is. This is what God says about marriage. This is what God says about divorce. These are the things that I have to take into consideration now that I know that I've heard. I cannot ignore them. You have to raise the bar. This is how I'm going to live from here on out. Okay? Step one. Step two. You get counseling. Good Christian counseling. Who gets counseling? Everybody. Alright, we're going to start a new program. No. Seriously, if you're thinking about divorce, you need to be in counseling. Don't show up at the pastor's door when you've got the papers already drawn up. Right? You need to get counseling when you're struggling in your marriage. You get counseling. If you're thinking about getting married, you need to get counseling. If you've been through a divorce, you need to get counseling. What kind of counseling? Christian counseling. Bible-based counseling where you hear the Word of God and people teach you the truth of God and they don't put on their man-made opinions upon you. But you get to hear the Word of God. that God is a God of second chances and God is a God of grace. But God is also a God of standards. And a God of expectations. And you sit under that counseling. I I told you that that this this was a tough week because there are expectations placed upon the pastor. And people ask these questions. Well, is that a legitimate divorce? Is this legitimate? I've had all these questions in the last few weeks about, well, are those right grounds for divorce? Are they not? You know what I tell people when they come and they sit across from me and they're saying, Pastor, um, will you approve my divorce? Which they wouldn't physically say that, but that's kind of what they're saying. You know what I tell them? If you're thinking about divorce, you need at least three months of counseling. At least, at the minimum. At the minimum. Don't go through with anything until you go get some counseling. Why? Because God's heart is that marriage is permanent, right? Therefore, you've got to work through it. That means that, you should, well, what about an abusive relationship? Then you're separated and you get counseling, <laughs> And hopefully the the person, that's the abuser, gets counseling. And we pray for restoration. And we pray for transformation. And and I'm here to tell you that God does that. God works miracles. I, I had somebody call me on the phone not long ago and said, listen, I left my partner and I left them and I'm not coming back. And I, I want to transfer my membership. And, like, I'm the pastor. I'm like, we don't have a lot of authority as a church. I was like, well, what, what's going on? There were no biblical grounds for divorce. There was just a, this ch- terrible thing that happened. And, and I just had to say, listen, I love you. I have no authority over you. But if you're asking for my stamp of approval on divorce, I cannot give it to you and I will not give it to you. I'm telling you that the Bible's not releasing you from this marriage yet said, so you need counseling. You need to talk about this. You need, and, and, and I'm here to tell you, it was a long, painful month to month to month to month process. The last thing I heard, last thing I heard, the partner that she was leaving, that she had prayed for 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 their entire marriage, he had finally submitted to Christ. The thing that she'd prayed for and prayed for and prayed for had happened, and and it wasn't. Like he was just night and day, but there was genuine change that you could see. And there's a commitment there now to try to work that out. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome how God can use the toughest circumstances? And now, literally, God's starting to put that marriage back together. That's what it's, You've got to get the counseling. You, you've got to think about reconciliation, okay? Number three, this is the last one. Last one, I promise. If marriage is meant to be permanent, you better work on it, Right? You better work on it. Huge difference between renting a house and owning a house. Amen? Right? Right? When when you rent, I remember our first little apartment or whatever that we rented, it wasn't ours. Right? Hey, there's something on the floor. Eh, we paid a deposit, right? Okay, the dog kind of, eh, Just do your best. Alright? Hey, oh, there's a nick on the eh. It's not a big deal. Right? It wasn't ours. We didn't own it. Suddenly, when you own it, right, everything changes. Right? If you don't maintain the house that you own, there's not a landlord that comes in and fixes it. When it breaks, it gets really expensive. Suddenly, you're, res- you're restoring all these things that cost way too much money. If marriage is meant to be permanent, hear me now. You better put the time and the energy and the effort into fixing it, into working on it on a continual basis, preventative maintenance, right? Husbands. I'm guilty too, alright? I, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's I can't dial the number for a babysitter. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's I lost the ability to plan a night out with my wife. But you got to date your wife. You have to. But You said I've got 16 kids. Hire five babysitters, okay? Go out once a year, alright? You may not get to go out more than once a year, but you can make it work, okay? Send the kids off to different relatives. Surely you have enough, okay? Make it work. You've got to date them from time to time. It means that every once in a while the TV needs to be turned off so that you can look in one another's eyes. It means that the cell phones have to be put away and that Facebook has to be closed and that you have to connect to one another. Ladies, I love you. It means you need less headaches. <laughs> okay? Listen, I love you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to offend you. But... Every man on the face of the planet, if you look up their, their love languages, okay? One of their top two is physical touch, I promise. I pro- I have not met a man to this day that physical touch was not either his first or his second love language. It's on the list. And there's a reason for it. It means that, listen, yes, I understand that we're not beautiful, alright? I know that we stink a little bit, but tell us to shower, man, and invite us in, Okay? You've got to connect with your husband and there is nothing on earth that makes a man feel more connected to his wife than regular relations, alright? Now, man, that means that you've got to work a little bit, okay? Put in the request early, brother, alright? I'm telling you, man, don't roll over at 10 o'clock when the, the sleepy glasses thing is on and, and, and the fuzzy PJs have been assembled. Uh, those are like impenetrable force fields. You don't want to go there. But but at the right time, like, like, you know, I don't know, when children aren't yanking on her or throwing up on her, somewhere at the right time, you give her a nice little, hey, maybe later. Just, just I, I know, listen, I'm, I'm not joking. There are couples that they have, you know, the door hangers from the hotel room? I'm not saying steal one. I think you can order them online. Okay, but but there's couples that they'll literally they'll walk out the door and the guy just like he'll hang the little do not disturb on the on the doorknob just early in the morning. So she happens to see it. Oh, gosh, let me get ready for that. Okay, right. It's an listen. It's work on your marriage. That's what it is. And and you can laugh and you can think that it's not important, but I'm here to tell you that it is important. I'm here to tell you that intimacy is important. I'm here to tell you, men, that listening to your spouse is important, that putting work into your marriage is important, that going to marriage seminars is important. If marriage is meant to be permanent, then why don't we act like it? How can we stand before God and say that we did everything in our power when the truth is we thought that it was all going to be magical and wonderful and just happen? Guess what? Good kids don't just happen, do they? They take discipline, they take maintenance, (laughs) lots of maintenance. The same is true about good marriages. They don't just happen, you've got to put in the work. All right? Would you guys pray with me this morning, Father?